Hello, and welcome to Bedrock, a podcast on Earth's earliest history. I'm your host, Dylan Wilmeth. Episode 26, The Magma Forge. Last episode, we met the oldest rocks on Earth, the Acasta Nice in Canada's Northwest Territories. The Acasta Nice is not one single boulder sitting on a cold tundra. It's an area of banded rock the size of a large city. The oldest spots in this wide expanse are four billion years old, February 12th on our imaginary Earth calendar. If you walk around the Acasta Nice, you'll see black and white stripes everywhere. Sometimes these stripes are thin and straight, like a barcode. Other times, they're wider than your hand, contorting into snake-like curves. The rocks did not look like this originally. The stripes were forged long after the Acasta's birth under intense heat and pressure. The Acasta Nice is an area that stared destruction in the face and survived, but not unchanged. So, what was the Acasta before it was nice? Over the next few episodes, we'll paint a portrait of Earth's oldest rocks in their prime. Today, we'll start with the basics. What did the original rocks look like four billion years ago, and how do these rocks form today? Along the way, We'll review some concepts we learned last season, so don't worry if you're a little rusty. Let's start at the beginning. Part 1 Taken for Granite I want you to visualize a piece of a cast of ice in your mind, a chunk of rock the size of your fist, covered with zebra stripes of light and dark crystals. What we're going to do is rewind the clock backwards, like an old videotape. As we head further back in time, the stripes disappear into random patterns around the rock. When we reach four billion years ago, the fresh-faced stone has a salt and pepper texture with large speckles of white, black, and gray. This is the Acasta before it was squeezed into gneiss. Looking at this rock, you'd probably say, that looks a lot like granite, and you'd be very close. But it's time to meet a new rock for our collection. We've met granite a few times already, in episodes 12 and 13. Granite is born in magma chambers, huge pockets of molten rock deep in Earth's crust. As the magma slowly cools, pink, gray, clear, and black crystals the size of coins start to form. Crystals you can see in any granite countertop. Granite is not the only pale rock born inside magma chambers. It has a lot of close siblings. Rocks that have slightly different recipes, but look essentially the same. Together, Granite and its siblings are called granitoids. The granitoid we'll meet today, the origin of the Acasta Nice, 
is called tonalite. So what makes tonalite different than plain old granite? If I place them side by side, they look pretty similar, but the most notable difference is color. Many true granites have pink minerals, while tonalites are dull gray with more dark crystals. These colors are telling us a story. Pink crystals are some of the last to form inside magma chambers. You need to process and recycle magma a lot to get any pink out of it. Therefore, slightly darker, less pinkish totalites are a bit more primitive than their granite siblings. There's another difference between tonalite and granite. Quantity. There's a reason granite is so famous, and tonalite, well, isn't. If we zoom out and scan the globe, granite forms the backbone of the continents, around 30% of the planet's surface. In contrast, tonalites are far more rare, only popping up in certain mountain chains and islands. For example, the word tonalite comes from the Tonale Pass in the Italian Alps. It's a famous ski resort that used to be a boiling magma chamber deep underground. But while tonalites are rare today, that wasn't always the case. Think of tonalites like shopping malls. They were huge and important in their day, and some are still around, but they're echoes of a bygone era. Tonalites were far more common in the Archean chapter of Earth's history, and they will be our close friends for the next four seasons. They will tell us the story of how continents rose up from the sea, how dry land came to planet Earth. You may not have heard of them before this show, but without tonalites, Earth would still be a water world. So, how exactly does tonalite form today? Part 2. The Crust Revisited The last time we talked about the crust was in episodes 12 and 13. If you're new, or if it's been a while, I would really recommend brushing up on those sessions before continuing. For those who just can't wait, here is a two-minute summary of episode 12, how Earth's crust forms today. Everything starts with the mantle, the layer beneath the crust. The mantle is extremely hot, but most of it is solid thanks to intense pressure deep within the Earth. At the very upper edge, however, the mantle is less pressurized, more relaxed, and importantly, still hot. As the pressure eases up, the solid mantle melts into liquid magma. Now here's the important part, where things really get interesting. Rocks do not melt all at once. Wimpier crystals melt first, while tougher crystals stick it out until the bitter end. This idea is called partial melting. Think of it like melting chocolate chip ice cream on the ground. Ice cream will melt much earlier than the chocolate chips, and it will start to flow away. Let's take the idea of partial melting back to the mantle. 
Some crystals melt right away, boiling up to Earth's surface, while others don't care at all, staying behind. The few escapees, the molten bunch, burst up to the surface and are quickly frozen back into rock again, near the cold seafloor. But this ocean rock is not the same as the mantle it left behind. Remember, we only melted a few mantle minerals, not all of them. It's like refreezing our melted ice cream as it flowed away. There would be no chocolate chips left. You can see the difference between mantle rocks and ocean crust with your eyes. Mantle rocks are green, dominated by our old friend olivine. In contrast, ocean crust is black. The best example is basalt. Now, what about dry land? What about continental crust? What about our new friend, tonalite? There are a few ways to make continental crust, but for now, let's stick with the most familiar, partial melting once again. This time, our starting ingredient is ocean crust. All ocean crust is eventually pulled back down into the mantle at ocean trenches, like the famous Mariana Trench. As we heat up these dark rocks, the wimpier crystals will melt away and boil upwards to the surface. As this new generation cools back down, they form pale rocks, white, pink, and gray. These light rocks form many volcanic islands, as well as the continents, granite and tonalite. In short, when you partially melt the green mantle, you'll get dark ocean crust, like basalt. If you take that ocean crust and partially melt it again, you'll get pale islands and continents, granite and its cousins. Each step is less dense than the last, which is why continents are higher up than the seafloor. Alright, that's the basic version of modern crust formation. I'm sure some geologists are wailing and gnashing their teeth, saying I missed major details and debates. And they're right. But all that starts to change today. Let's recap what the Acasta totalite tells us just by looking at it. Four billion years ago, dark ocean crust melted. Part of that melt separated and slowly turned into dull gray tonalite deep below Earth's surface. For more detailed information, we need a closer look. We need to return to our old friends, zircon crystals. Part 3. Idiwa. In 2014, a team of Canadian researchers, including Jesse Reimink, traveled to the Acasta Nice. Plenty of folks had visited in the previous 30 years, but this crew was searching for the best samples they could find, the creme de la creme in a sea of altered stone and pine forest. Eventually, they hit a jackpot, small pockets of our new friend, Tonalite. The Tonalites were so well-preserved, they earned their own name, Idiwa, or 
ancient times in the local Tlicho language. Technically, the Iriwa Tonalite is still nice, just less altered, but I'll keep calling them Tonalites for now. Most importantly, the Idiwa Tonalites held a treasure trove of Zircon crystals. Last episode, we used Zircons as timepieces to date the Acasta Nice. Today, we'll use them as time capsules, pockets of information about the ancient world. If we open the Zircon time capsules of the Idiwa, we see elements, atoms from the ancient world that changed as they passed through different environments. We learned about two elements when we tackled the Jack Hill Zircons in Season 1. In Episode 13, we met the element Hafnium, which helps trace the origins of magma chambers. To see how, let's revisit Part 1 and the idea of partial melting. When a rock begins to melt, some elements prefer to be in liquid magma, while others remain behind in the solid crystals. Hafnium prefers the magma and escapes towards new adventures in new rocks. This means, as the green mantle turns into black ocean crust, and eventually into pale islands, each stage will have more and more Hafnium. Here's where things get interesting. The Iriwatonalites are pale, but when we peek inside their oldest zircons, their hafnium levels are closer to dark oceanic rocks. The zircons are acting like a memory bank, remembering the dark parent that recycled itself into the pale daughter. The parent was destroyed, but the child, the tonalite, survived, and still remembers what it was. And finally, there's a more familiar tool in our time capsule, one we met in episode 15. Oxygen. Now oxygen does far more than pass through your lungs, it really gets around. Oxygen is a building block of water, living things, and many minerals like zircons. As oxygen travels from one place to another, it changes and leaves clues of where it's been before. For example, the Jack Hill Zircons from Season 1 have the fingerprints of cool, liquid water. In other words, the rocks that partially melted into the Jack Hill's magma chamber had clearly interacted with the ocean. What about the Idiwa Zircons? Unsurprisingly, they also tell us that Earth had an ocean. It's good to know it didn't disappear on us. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, this session was dedicated to showing the similarities between the Ediwatonalites and the modern crust. Dark rocks recycling into light ones, with water playing across Earth's surface. If you want more detail, I would again recommend episodes 12 through 15, where we tackled similar issues in the Jack Hill Zircons. Now that we've reviewed the rules, it's time to start breaking them. Summary The oldest rocks in the Acastanice are the Iriwa Tonalites, dull gray cousins of granite 
four billion years old, February 12th on the Earth calendar. These tonalites were recycled from much older, much darker stones, most likely below the Hadean Sea from season one. As we move forward, tonalites will form the first building blocks of today's continents, the first stepping stones of dry land. We know these stories by looking at elements trapped in zircon crystals. Hafnium tells us about the crust, while oxygen tells us about water. Next episode, we'll learn a secret, alternate recipe to make continents, a recipe that formed the very oldest rocks in the Acastanice. This recipe can only be recreated in one of the strangest places on Earth today. Stay tuned to find out just where that is. Thank you for listening to Bedrock, a part of Bee Giants Media. If you like what you've heard today, please take a second to rate our show wherever you are. Just a simple click of the stars, no words needed unless you feel like it. If just one person rates the show every week or tells a friend, that makes us more visible to other curious folks. It always makes my day, and that one person could be you. You can drop me a line at bedrock.mailbox at gmail.com. See you next time.